Hi, and welcome back to the fourth episode of Rich Idea Per Idea, the podcast where I talk to founders about how they got their startup idea and then validated it. In this episode, I sat down with Andre Hano, who is the co-founder and CEO of an investment app called Birdwingo. Birdwingo was founded back in 2021, and it's aimed towards young people in Europe who want to get into investing. With this application, Andre and his co-founder aim to make it easier and more accessible for young people to get into investing. And through Birdwingo Academy, which is their educational side, they aim to make it a bit less daunting and intimidating for people to start investing. I spoke to Andre about the very early days of Birdwingo how he and his brother came up with the idea, assessed it, and determined that it's the best idea amongst their other ideas, how he validated it by going out to talk to customers at the questions he asked, how he got those first users of the application, the initial marketing campaigns, the pricing, and so on. There's a lot of great nuggets in this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, here we go. So thank you again, Andre. It's great to have you on. Um, Thanks so much for inviting me. Thanks a lot. Uh, so I gave a brief introduction about uh, your application previously, but if you could just introduce it in your own words and then give us a bit of background uh, about your experience. Sure. Happy to do so. Birdwingo is an investing app, simple investing app for Gen Zs and millennials in Europe. And we want to make investing accessible to all. So not just those who have a lot of money, not just those who have a lot of financial knowledge, but basically allow everyone to start somewhere and be able to take advantage of compounding and, and investing in general to save money for their future. Mm -hmm. Before we go into what made you come up with the idea for Birdwingo, could you just introduce yourself a little bit? I believe that you were working in consulting prior to that. Correct. Correct. Uh, yes. I originally come from Slovakia. Uh, I was I was born and raised there, but I haven't lived in Slovakia for the past eight or so years, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, I sort of studied in the United States, in Minneapolis. Uh, then I studied at King's College London, uh, political economy, mostly sort of economics and then political science, and then management uh, in uh, uh, Utrecht in the Netherlands. And then I moved to uh, London. I've always been interested in making positive social impacts. And I sort of, I'm very data driven. I looked at sort of the data and I realized that the energy sector is something that uh, actually can be improved by quite a lot because it constitutes 25% of all CO2 emissions produced. Mm -hmm. um, so I went on and I worked in strategy consulting for different firms um, based in London. I was based in London, but as you know, strategy consulting is mostly sort of you travel basically any, anywhere where your clients are. Um, and after this, I, I went on to work uh, for E.ON. So I uh, moved to Germany. Uh, I moved to the E.ON headquarters where I worked as a, as a sort of in-house uh, consultant. And um, um, as, I, as I wanted to get a bit more into uh, the energy sector, even, even more. And then after some time, um, me and my co-founder, Adam, we realized that actually there's this gap on the market where young people in Europe don't have, and by young, we sort of let in anyone who believes they are young uh, can can still can still use the app, uh, or actually even it works for my 61-year-old dad uh, <laughs> equally well. But uh, but we, we saw this gap that like there are many of these uh, super legacy investing services 
where people go there and have to go there in person or would use these like super old fashioned uh, mobile apps or web platforms, or people would be just like overpaying extremely a lot of money. Or there are these like other apps uh, which which are not transparent when it comes to sort of their fee structure and you never really know what you're paying for and so on. And we thought that, okay, actually, let's make this better. And we looked at the infrastructure, how it could be done. We looked at the regulatory side because that is extremely important to have the business well regulated. Um, and we, we found out that we can actually try to do it. We did it. We built out the app in terms of both the regulation, both in terms of the infrastructure, and then we released it to the public. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned your co-founder, Adam. Are you related in any way to him? Because I know this yes, is- so we're brothers. We're brothers, great. Yeah, well, I think one of the very important questions for any founder is who to partner up with, because it's kind of a marriage to build a startup together. Well, what was it like working with your brother? It's definitely like a marriage. So definitely for anyone listening, make sure that you pick the right partner to do uh, this thing with, because uh, I've, I've also, I, I'm sort of uh, quite, quite involved in, in the startup community and uh, I've seen people sort of, sort of breaking up mm -hmm. and it's a very painful process. So make sure that you pick someone that you definitely uh, can imagine spending super long days with and, uh, and who you click with on a personal level as well. For us, it was very natural because uh, we we have a very sort of deep relationship. We we really trust each other. And uh, on top of this, we have very complementary skills. So I'm much more focused on the strategy and the regulatory sides, uh, hiring admin and, and sort of, uh, and, and basically anything else that comes uh, with it. And Adam is much more focused on the product and on the technical side. So you mentioned two things in there, which is choosing someone you can work with because you're going to spend a lot of time with that person. And secondly, someone who has complementary skills to you, because it's important that you see eye to eye, you have the same vision, but ultimately in the beginning, you're, you're going to wear a lot of hats. So it's good to have somebody who can do the things that you can do before you hire anyone and, uh, and launch the market. So you mentioned that you worked, well, you lived in several places, which is really cool. Uh, you mentioned that you were working in energy and kind of looking at sustainability. Um, what made you think that there's a market for such an application in Europe? Yeah, so this is very interesting. So both of us, me and Adam, we've lived in the US and, um, um, and we've seen that in the US, there's actually 58% of the adult population invests in something be it stocks, ETFs, or, or whatever else. In Europe, it's just 15%. And the, the difference between these two regions is super stark. And we were, we were like, yeah, actually, we've seen it firsthand. We've sort of, when I was working in consulting, when Adam was uh, working in sort of machine learning product and so on, we, we were able to sort of, of course, the money that you receive you can put some money aside and take advantage of and then invest it somewhere. And, and we've seen how much it has been helping us, how much it has been helping other people. And we just wanted to educate, also sort of increase the, the financial literacy and sort of educate the market a little bit uh, in, in uh, not just in the Czech Republic. We've never wanted to be just a Czech firm. Uh, we always wanted to have, uh, and, and we still have European ambitions, 
and and the app is sort of um, uh, available to 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 anyone in uh, in in the EU, um, and uh, and we wanted to make sure that we sort of reach out as many people as possible and sort of allow as many young people to invest um, and and take advantage of this. It's a very difficult process for a person who has absolutely no knowledge, absolutely no sort of mm, relationship with, with investing to start. It can be very overwhelming. And this is what we are tackling with. It's important to activate people, to, to explain to them why this is actually important uh, and and then to sort of lead them through the process of uh, registering and lead them through the process of making their first investment, be it five euros or 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 hundreds or thousands of euros. Right. What you mentioned, like investing, seems like a very daunting task. Although it's very important, you know, if you want to build wealth instead of just keeping your money in the savings account, it's important to invest, but we are not taught about finance or how to invest in school. And so people think you have to go through all of these regulations, all of these processes by yourself. And I believe that perhaps was one of the reasons why you also worked on uh, Bird Ringo Academy, right? Which is to educate your customers and future customers about the importance of investing. Uh, we can get to that later, but uh, I would like to talk about uh, kind of your entrepreneurship journey. Have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Have you always wanted to have your own company? I've never been. I've always been interested in making things that make people's life better. No matter how cliche that sounds, it's actually uh, for me this this has always been extremely important. And um, and entrepreneurship uh, comes with it. By default, you're trying to solve uh, pain points of users. And, uh, and, uh, this, this is something that I've always enjoyed doing. And, uh, um, especially when you see that people are actually grateful once, once you solve their problems, that has always been driving me. And right. be it working at a, at another company or, or having your own company that was secondary. It was more about sort of like being able to have a lot of positive impact. Mm -hmm. When you were exploring the idea for Bird Bingo, were you also exploring some other ideas or was that the main one you were looking at? And then what made you give it a go? We've always explored several ideas and you always keep, even within one specific idea, you keep exploring different paths. So for us, it could have been, let's say, starting in the US as opposed to starting in Europe mm -hmm. and, and building a, let's say, a app for just young people in, in, in that specific region or building it differently or building the product in a way that, uh, would, would look somewhat different. So you, so you keep exploring and, and you actually, in my opinion, you never stop. So when it comes to the product development, the product always keeps developing. And when you stop developing it, uh, that's when you start losing to other players because, um, because they will, they will eventually be faster and eventually innovate faster. Um, we've always been exploring different ideas with, with Adam, uh, be it fintech or, or not, but this is something that we've, uh, we found that the market is, uh, very keen on, on sort of, um, uh, getting into it in terms of, in terms of what the users were, were interested in. Um, and, and there's really getting, there's really this hype of sort of people really realizing that this is something that they should be doing, especially young people They're like, yes. Uh, with the high cost of living, with the uh, high inflation rates, 
it is something that we need to be doing. Otherwise, our generations will never be able to afford a flat or, or a house or, or, or the living that many times the generation of our parents had. And, and investing is definitely one of the things that, uh, that people can start with, especially when they're super young, because the sooner you start, the more of the compounding you get and the bigger habits you build out in terms of on a monthly basis, putting some money aside. And it really doesn't matter initially what's, how big the sum is, uh, and eventually sort of increasing it and then capitalizing on, on, on being able to, um, uh, take advantage of the compounding and take advantage of basically having the money at some point for whatever you love. Right. Well, I think what you just said really is like the perfect sales pitch, if if you want to call it, for investing. I would also right. add that it's not a it's not a short term solution. It's not. It shouldn't be about gambling, and it shouldn't be about thinking of the short term gains. The stock markets, by definition, are volatile. So the prices go up and down, but we need to remember that we're in it for the long game. And, and that basically means that sometimes we will be losing some money and sometimes we'll be gaining money. But the important thing is that in the long run, if we pick the right instruments, if we pick the right companies or the, or the right ETFs, which are like baskets of uh, companies, uh, we know that we will be earning money based on some analyses and so on in the long run. Mm -hmm. Well, on your website, you really um, emphasize investing in the companies that you love. And I suppose that doesn't just mean, you know, you love their mission, you love what they stand for, but also you love their product. Because if, if you love their product, then it's most likely that other customers also love their products. And so they will continue to get customers. They will continue to get revenue and they're financially healthy. Precisely. And this is something that I've, I've seen also when I was working for big corporations as a consultant, that people, that the managements really care about what the individual retail investors think and also what sort of the population as a whole thing mm. thinks so and many times many times this is really important for us to be able to invest in things that you believe in both in terms of financial returns of course that is that is important but also in terms of what you believe in in terms of how you sympathize with the company so for me specifically um, I'm a vegetarian moving into veganism, hopefully, hopefully pretty soon. And for me, Beyond Meat is a company that I really like. The same goes for Duolingo and the same goes for a couple of other companies like Oatly and so on. And it's really nice to be part of, to be able to be part of their journey, to basically own a small piece of Oatly and take advantage of whenever I buy the Oatly drink. I can, I can always be like, yeah, I actually, I'm a co-owner of this company and I'm part of the journey. Yeah, I really love that kind of contributing to this company that makes something you really love. So going back to the very beginnings, you get this idea, you think, you know, this is very popular in the US. You want to make it easy and accessible for young people to invest in Europe. And your starting point is the Czech Republic and, you know, Central Europe. Um, how did you go about validating the idea? Because, you know, it's, it's popular in the US, as I said, but then here you're catering to a different market, you're catering towards young people. And so when it comes to building the MVP of the product, the initial features, 
was it a matter of hiring an engineer to build that or did you go talk to people first to validate the idea you always one advice that i've always been receiving uh and i've been super super lucky and super 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 grateful for being able to be around people who are very senior and who have been able to give good advice and the advice is always talk to users at every single point talk to users because the worst thing that could happen to you uh, as a startup founder is if you build something that people don't love and uh so you need to build a product that people are excited about uh using and and once you have this then you go to your engineers and and that's when the engineers actually build the product it's very expensive to do it the other way around to first build it and then finding out that we have to actually adjust it. Mm -hmm. With that said, can you walk us through the validation process that you went through? You have this idea, you want to see if people would actually use it and it's not just a good idea because a lot of them say, yeah, it's a good idea, but they never end up actually signing up and using it. Got it. Yes. Uh, yes. And it's, it's a, it's a relatively simple process. You pick out, uh, you, you pick a couple of people who are your, who you believe you, at this stage, you probably don't have that much data. So it's going to be a lot about some intuition as well. Mm -hmm. And so you pick people who you believe are your target customers and you start talking to them. You start looking at, you realize that there are some pain points that they're, uh, that they're unhappy about. For our case, for example, it being the inaccessibility to investing or the, the super high and non-transparent fees. Um, and, and if you keep hearing the same pain points all over again, then you know that you got the pain point right. And, uh, once this is done, so you do these sort of, it's called user sort of structured or semi-structured user research interviews. So you, you go out for a coffee with them or you do a Zoom call with them and uh, or you or you do some forms, but it's always better to do one on ones. Um, and then once you have this problem validated, you go back to your team and you think of the solutions. So you don't ask the users for the solutions because they can be very biased. And but instead of that, you pick the solutions. This question of the problem that you're solving is super interesting here because, uh, for example, you know, I wanted to start this podcast and so one thing that I needed, which is an absolute necessity, is a mic, right? So I went and bought a mic. But I believe when it comes to investing, it's not a complete necessity for people unless, you know, you have this goal of like wealth and you want to generate more money. But I think for most of the population, they don't wake up thinking, okay, you know, I have this problem, I have to invest money. So my question is, when you first, uh, when you were thinking of, okay, who should I reach out to to validate the idea and talk to, was it people who wanted to invest but found it problematic? Or people who didn't think of investing and you're trying to convince them to invest? Our sweet spot. So we've tried reaching out to different groups of people. And it's it's a complicated formula of sort of looking at what you can deliver versus what the competition is like versus sort of the overall feasibility of the project and and then sort of uh, also in terms of like what you as a company want to be doing 
For us, we found the sweet spots in people who have never invested before or who tried it out, but were not super happy with the current solutions, but who are not professionals. We are not focusing on professional investors. We're not focusing on day traders. We're focusing on ordinary people who heard of investing, know that it's probably the right thing to do uh, for various reasons, but don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially, especially in the European market, it's much more about educating people and explaining why actually investing is really important uh, and that anyone can start because many times there's the misconception that we're trying to sort of break that people can start just when they're already rich or that it's just for men, which is one of the things that I hate probably the most uh, because it's not. And actually research shows that female invest on average, they earn 0.4% greater returns on an annual basis. And and still many, many of these other sort of uh, apps focus just on men. And to me, it's sort of just mind blowing. Um, so, so it's much more about educating the market and sort of explaining the benefits and then, and then sort of uh, letting people uh, try it out. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, what questions were you asking those initial people? So were they actually friends and family that you contacted or were they people that you found, for example, on Facebook groups? You always want to ask people who, um, don't really care about you as, as much because that's when you're getting sort of like the, the real feedback. So we started doing these rounds of user research interviews. Uh, initially people were just excited to help us. And that's actually the best feedback that we're, that we're getting. Many times you would be surprised, especially if there, if, if it is a brand that you really like, you are really inclined to help them as mm -hmm. much as possible. And this is something that I've been extremely uh, thankful for, that there have been many people who just wanted to talk to us, who keep emailing us or sort of Instagram uh, messaging us and telling us like, yeah, I like this. And like, maybe you can even do like this and that and, and so on. It the passion. It's been tremendously helping, helpful yeah. for us. It shows the passion of your customers that they're doing it proactively without being asked to. Correct. Correct. And this is the advantage of building a love brand as opposed to building, let's say, a telco company, like a telecommunication company, right. which of course can also be a love brand, but many times isn't uh, or yeah. any sort of a bigger corporation. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so you, you go out to validate the idea. At what point in this validation process did you think, okay, this is a winning idea and it's something that we want to pursue? Yep. So we we noticed that um, um, we noticed that people were reacting very positively to to some of the ideas that we had, and then we just focused on those ideas. So it's always about and whenever we also include uh, new features, we're constantly sort of thinking of what we do next in terms of how we enrich the user experience. Um, and Whenever you see that people actually really, really care about this and really are like, yeah, I would definitely use this. I want this. This is important to me. That's when you know that you're at the right path and that's when you start uh, building it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so you, you found out that you're on the right path. You know, you have a great idea. You have a co-founder. Um, are any of you coders or did you have to hire an engineer to build your MVP? 
So Adam is the technical co-founder, so he's also a coder, uh, but we also also sort of um, um, hired more people to join the team. And it's always it's always a teamwork. It's always much more fun to do it with other people than to than if it's uh, just two of you. Um, and so 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 at the moment there are fifteen of us. Fifteen, yeah. Team. I mean, you grew. I mean, you started only was it last year that you launched the application, and you Correct. grew super fast. Yeah. So you go about building the MVP. Uh, what was that actually the hardest thing about this? And I want to go into marketing here. So I think a lot of founders, you know, they, they build their application, they launch it, and they think that customers are just going to come flooding in. Uh, so I wonder, what, what was your launch like? How many customers did you get initially? What were your marketing campaigns like? Yep. And you're absolutely correct about the statement that many times people think that like I've already got the best product and that people will just come. So for us, it was, we know that uh, we have a super user-friendly app that offers cheapest investing on the European markets and is sort of uh, fully regulated and so on. And we, we initially thought that like, yeah, that's probably going to be enough for people to come. And, and that is, that is not absolutely true because people need to hear about you. And, uh, and of course, that is, that is something we're, we're trying out different sort of channels in terms of letting people know uh, about us. Uh, by far, the best channel for us is word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So this is something that people do with companies that they um, support, that they like, uh, the products that they like, that they tell their friends. So, so for us, this is, this is extremely, extremely important. And, um, and we are honestly grateful for, for people for, for doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, word of mouth really builds trust in your brand, doesn't it? Because if I recommend an application for my friend, they're automatically going to trust it because I do. Uh, but uh, I imagine building trust must have been difficult with the first few customers since you are a new company, you know, you are using kind of processing their personal data. How did you build this trust? Very good question. For us, it's even more complicated because first of all, we process some personal data, of course, because we have to, uh, legally speaking. And, and on top of this, we, we sort of, the user needs to deposit their own money into, into a company. So that's, that's why they need to, that's why they need to trust us. For us, it was a play of different factors. One, uh, making sure that people understand that we are fully regulated that the money is insured up to $500,000 per each account, that individual investors are actually owners of their own stock, which is not a rule, actually not that common in Europe. And, uh, and uh, on top of this, we were trying to show that like, look, um, there's, there are other institutions writing about us. There are other institutions backing us. We have a venture capital fund from New York City, which invested into us uh, and and is a long term backer of of the project, and um, and and just trying to make sure that uh, that everything is absolutely safe and secure when people try to withdraw money, it always comes and and so on. And that basically, so this is something that we've seen when many times people would try to deposit a smaller amount. They see that things are working fine, that the money didn't disappear, cannot disappear by by default, by the way how, how things are sort of regulated and how, how the technical implementation is done. 
and then and then basically then what we see is that many times people deposit more and more because they got accustomed to this and and they start trusting us Mm -hmm, perfect i want to move on to pricing now so how did you approach the question of pricing in the beginning and if you could tell us a bit about your model we were initially thinking of being absolutely free uh, and one learning that we've learned and that was that was very interesting for us is that we had to increase the prices not because we not because we wanted to but because people were a bit surprised that we are so cheap we were able to be so cheap simply because uh, of the right setup of the infrastructure and because we automate all the tasks as opposed to some other players hiring armies of employees uh, copying different pieces of data um and so but we but we were surprised that actually people people really really needed uh, to see some sort of a price there we wanted to be free initially and then sort of allow people to purchase a premium account uh, but what we what we eventually did was we shifted to a um, sort of per trade model mm -hmm. where people pay 0.49 percent of each trade up to one dollar so you never pay more than one dollar and uh there are no other fees and by saying this i honestly mean it so there is no deposit fee no withdrawal fee no fx markup so when you change con when you convert currencies we basically use the interbank exchange rate which is the same way the same one that revolut uses and we don't charge for basically anything else there's no spread or or nothing like that so there's just one transparent fee and that is something that we that people really really care about people have been complaining a lot about uh, other products not charging transparently and then them having to having to overpay quite quite hefty fees okay perfect uh andre we are out of time but thank you so much i really appreciate your time and i learned a lot from this so thanks a lot thanks a lot for inviting me really enjoyed it <laughs>